0: The Mark Stein Show.
1: And now, here's Mark. 70 years ago today, May ninth, 1950, a Royal Canadian Mounted Police schooner, the St. Rock, docked at Halifax, Nova Scotia, and thereby became the first ship to circumnavigate North America. If you're wondering how you do that, well, you need the Panama Canal down south and the Northwest Passage up north. The St. Rock was also the first vessel to complete the Northwest Passage west to east, Pacific to Atlantic, under its longtime captain Henry Larson. Seventy years ago today, great men, bold feats in the frozen vastness of the great white north. Down south, meanwhile, it's hot as hell. Fire, I'll take
0: you to burn. Fire,
1: I'll take you to learn. Fire and ice, ice and fire. On today's show, Minneapolis is burning as are other American cities across the map in California, Arizona, Tennessee, Colorado, and even in the hitherto deserted canyons of midtown Manhattan. Fire and ice, a land of contrasts. It is illegal for an American citizen to drive to his business and open the store, but it is apparently permissible for other citizens to bust into that store and loot it, while law enforcement stand around and watch. In the same land where the same coppers are dispatched to close down churches. In New Jersey, Governor Murphy's health commissars break into Ian Smith's Attilas gym without a warrant. In Minnesota, mobs break into gyms and clothing stores and cell phone emporia and Target and the Dairy Queen and Wendy's all without a warrant and steal everything they can before torching the buildings. There appear to be significant breaches of COVID measures that would get you wrestled to the ground and handcuffed on the New York subway. All those things the tough hands-on governors tell us is the new normal and instead the destruction and devastation looks a lot like the old normal. Rioters are not wearing proper corona masks, and there's no social distancing except from the police and the fire department, who've socially distanced themselves from the rioters and right out of the picture. The third precinct house in Minneapolis was seized and burned on Thursday night with the assault team using explosives, to chase out the Constabulary and raise their headquarters to the ground. I have remarked many, many times before on how our society is bifurcating. The more lawless certain parts of society become, the more burdens are placed on the law-abiding and compliance. On the southern border... If you're an MS-13 gangbanger or a drug mule or an ISIS devotee and you want to take a skiff across the Rio Grande and walk into America, feel free. The border's wide open. On the other hand, on the northern border, they pull you over and throw the book at you if you've got a bagpipe or a kinder egg. But lockdownistan has sharpened the contrasts. Hairstylists are non-essential. Waitresses are non-essential. Jewelers are non-essential. But rioters and looters and pillagers are apparently essential and have the run of the land. The same governors and mayors who in the last three months have taken total control over the most routine aspects of daily life have no control whatsoever over the rioters rampaging through their cities and reducing them to something that looks like Mogadishu after a quiet weekend. Oh, beg pardon, my mistake. NBC News says it's inaccurate to describe them as rioters.
0: I I, I want to be clear in how I characterize this.
1: This is mostly a protest. Uh, it uh, It is not, generally speaking, unruly. The reporter assuring us these protesters are not unruly is standing in front of a blazing building. But who are you going to believe, the media or your lying eyes? And now, from the land where everything is policed except crime... Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. Actually, I don't think we'll do a Brit wanker copper today. It's it's too sad. The petty wankery of the English Constabulary is, in a certain sense, a function of their inability to shoot you or kill you. If you recall one of the most memorable incidents we've covered from northern England in the last couple of months, a citizen shooed half a dozen constables who broke his front door, he shooed them out of his home by swearing at them, admittedly with tremendous virtuoso bravura forcefulness. But in essence, he swore them into retreat uh, and back onto the street and out of his life. It was rather inspiring. But in that and the other lockdown incidents we've chronicled, it's their very triviality that makes them so wankerish. What's happening in Minnesota is on an entirely different scale. There are three strikes and then some against Minneapolis law enforcement. Let me see if I can count. First, if you kill a guy for allegedly passing a counterfeit $20 bill, you're doing it wrong. Whatever that is, it's not policing. Second, this wasn't a messy interaction over a few confused fatal seconds, uh, as we've seen before. Uh, George Floyd had been subdued. He was handcuffed, lying on the ground, not resisting, and Derek Chauvin, Chauvin, Derek Chauvin had his knee on that man's neck for over seven minutes. Chauvin did not remove his knee Even as the emergency medical technician was checking the guy's pulse, he only led up to allow the ambulance team to put the corpse on a stretcher. Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd in broad daylight on a public street in front of dozens of witnesses. Up till yesterday, I would also have added, and in front of a trio of colleagues who stood around passively. But the latest video footage shows those other three officers in fact participating in that slow-mo seven-minute killing. Third, the Minneapolis Police Department fired all four officers. Whoop-de-doo. Had you or I done what Derek Chauvin did, I'd be in custody and so would you. Again, one notes the ironies. Right now, millions of law-abiding citizens are under de facto house arrest with no probable cause. But men who commit murder on a public street on video with witnesses were walking around free for days. Despite the bizarre statement of the Hennepin County attorney, it is not a question yet of whether Chauvin is guilty of first-degree murder beyond a reasonable doubt. That is for a jury to determine. The standard right now is whether, the legal standard, is whether there is probable cause to arrest him and prepare charges. And the videos and the witness accounts provide more than enough probable cause. Yet the authorities dithered as the city burned and his three comrades are still walking around. Fourth, Derek Chauvin had had multiple complaints against him. Uh, Among the collateral damage from this incident is Amy Klobuchar's vice presidential ambitions, as she was the Hennepin County attorney who declined to prosecute after Chauvin fatally shot another suspect a few years back. Fifth, Having prompted the riots, the Minneapolis PD now declines to police them. Law enforcement abandoned large parts of the city to their fate, to robbery, arson, to a complete breakdown of civil order. If you're having your store looted or your property burned, the coppers, the same coppers who can dispatch a four-man team to take down a guy for allegedly passing a fake 20 bucks, are nowhere in sight. The death of George Floyd was a particular specific failure of policing. The burning of the city is a total general failure of policing. Sixth, despite their absence from the scene for the arson and looting, at least half a dozen officers in the full Robocop were nevertheless available on a ruined and abandoned city street to arrest a CNN news team live on camera.
0: We are live on the air at the moment. He is he is guard. This is the four of us. We are one team. Just. And uh, this is a scene here playing out in Minneapolis. This is. And so we walked away. I'm sorry? You're under arrest.
1: Okay. Do you oh, mind whoa, whoa, telling whoa, whoa. me why I'm under arrest, sir?
0: Why Why am I under arrest, sir?
1: Officer and the air right now. OK. We're We told you before that we are with CNN.
0: If you're just tuning in, you are watching our correspondent, Omar Jimenez, being arrested by state police in Minnesota. We're not sure why our correspondent is being arrested.
1: They handcuffed him. They handcuffed the reporter like they did with George Floyd, but without uh, getting out the old knee, so that's the good news. Now, that really is wanker-copper stuff. Where are we? Hong Kong? And Chairman Xi wants to teach the BBC crew a lesson? Seventh... Minneapolis has a corrupt and dysfunctional police department, a malign combination of virtue signalling and viciousness. These are the guys, let's not forget, who expressed up the system an obviously unsuitable, affirmative action Muslim cop who fatally shot Justine Damond, the Australian lady who'd called 911, the uh, police chief Uh, both a virtue signaller and a beneficiary of virtue signaling in that uh, she was a... uh, Let me see if I get this right. A lesbian Native American who enjoyed wearing the hijab on special occasions. The police chief quit immediately. Eighth... Minnesota is afflicted by its political class. It has a radical black Muslim attorney general, Keith Ellison, who thinks Antifa is cool. His instinctive sympathies are with the property destroyers, not the property owners. Minneapolis, by contrast, has a child mayor who has the effect of Justin Trudeau's younger brother... He makes Justin look like he's ready for long trousers. Here he is at a hasty press conference in the middle of the night. Uh, Mayor, some people have questioned whether you made a conscious
0: decision to let people go into the third precinct and offer it up as kind of one of these healing spots that you had referenced earlier in the day. Is that how you were approaching it? No, no. Uh, The decision that I made was for the safety of our officers and the safety uh, of the public. The, the symbolism of a, of a building cannot outweigh the importance of life. It's a decision that I did not take lightly.
1: Tell the public in that community
0: that doesn't have that precinct that, to work from to help protect the other homes or other businesses. The, are, the, the resources that we will offer to the people of the third precinct will continue period. The building is just bricks and mortar. It's a building.
1: That's not really true. Throughout history, a respect for property has always been a necessary condition for a respect for life. And indeed, for all human rights, such as freedom of speech and freedom of movement. That is why societies that let property be seized and burned always wind up letting people get seized and burned too. For three months... Small businesses have complained that they're closed while the big chains are deemed essential. Well, if it's any consolation to them, a Walmart was torched and Target has now closed all its stores in the Twin Cities. They've gone the way of gyms in New Jersey and hair salons in Michigan. After lockdown all spring, it feels like it's going to be a long, hot summer.
0: evocative essays, scintillating stories, timely transcripts, even satisfying songs. All of these and more live on at steinonline.com for members of the Mark Stein Club. You've heard him on the radio and seen him on TV, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. From the Stein Online back catalog to exclusive access to Stein's new content, membership in the Mark Stein Club is a must-have for fans of America's undocumented anchorman. Tune into Stein's nightly tales for our time, Join the conversation in one of his fortnightly live Clubland Q&As or sit back and take in a Sunday poem. Mark Stein Club members also get advance notice of Stein's live appearances. Join the Mark Stein Club now by heading to www.steinonline.com club. Mark Stein's Poem of the Week.
1: I mentioned earlier that today is the 70th anniversary of the first ever circumnavigation of North America by the RCMP schooner, the St. Rock. Uh, The name most associated with the Northwest Passage is, of course, Sir John Franklin of the poor, doomed Franklin expedition. And it's only in the last six years that his two ships... HMS Erebus and HMS Terror have been located, the latter in pristine condition just south of King William Island. Sir John loomed large in the Victorian imagination and much was written of him. But did you know his first wife was a poet? Eleanor Anne Porden met Franklin in 1818 just before he set off on HMS Trent and shortly thereafter published a poem in admiration called The Arctic Expeditions. Sail, sail, adventurous barks, go fearless forth, Storm on his glacier seat, the misty north, Give to mankind the inhospitable zone, And Britain's trident plant in seas unknown etc. It's a rather earnest piece. Miss Porden was just 22 and the arctic expeditions doesn't compare to her best-known work from later that year, Coeur de Lyon, her epic poem of the third crusade. So I have a slight preference for this private verse. In 1822, Franklin was away on the Coppermine expedition, charting the land between Hudson's Bay and Canada's northern shore. It was a wild ride. There was at least one murder and rumours of cannibalism as the starving crew were driven to eating lichen. Franklin would later be known as the man who ate his boots because by that point they were the only thing left. But when he writes to Eleanor Porden, the only thing he complains about is what a pain in the neck it is trying to write his narrative of the expedition, his journal. Uh, Eleanor's publisher, John Murray, had a deal with the Admiralty and explorers' accounts of their adventures were big sellers. I've always loathed that self-regarding line of precious writers uh, that there is nothing so terrifying as a blank page. But for John Franklin, it was true. In the midst of wastes of ice stretching to the far horizon, polar bears and grizzlies, not to mention murder, cannibalism, your left boot for breakfast and your right boot for dinner, what truly paralysed him with fear was the blank page of his journal. So to jolly him up, in December 1822, Eleanor Pordham sent him a letter in the voice of her beloved, a great explorer struggling to write. Hey-ho, alack and well-a-day, was ever white like me distressed? What shall I write? What can I say? Will this or that way read the best? Oh, that my foe a book had written, so spake the wisest of mankind. Alas, his curse my head has smitten, and right I must, though ill-inclined. I've faced the battle o'er and o'er, from steel or fire I did not shrink. Not ocean in its wildest roar could fright me like that drop of ink. A field of snows but one blank page. Bears, icebergs, buffaloes together, I'd rather all there might engage than touch that one bore goose's feather. I'm in the treadmill all the day, no rest is mine, and in my dreams gone imps of darkness round me play with ghastly papers filed in reams. And there, oh there, such lines are traced, like flints in chalk, uncounted strata. And last, one long dire list, prefaced with that tremendous word errata. Bright Phoebus, now thy help bestow, though fear from thine my course has laid, where faint and wan thy summers glow, where winter frowns in endless shade, give me thy smile for once, but how? Their wayward power, tis worse and worse. I ask thee but for prose, but now... My thoughts are jingling into verse, My mind unwanted numbers haunt, I'm clean bewitched, I'm in a flurry, of avaunt, Ye crew of rhymes, avaunt, Why, what will Barrow say, or Murray? O oh, God of scribblers, guide my course, Assist me, though the phrase be evil, To turn my offspring out of doors, And give it fairly to the devil. A poem from me to you and from Eleanor Porden to John Franklin to spur him to write his journal. Notice the mention of their very publisher toward the end, uh, John Murray. The couple were wed a few months later and she gave birth to their daughter nine months after that, before the little girl was a year old. And while her husband was away on his second Arctic land expedition, Eleanor Ann Porden was dead of consumption at the age of 29. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. Shireen, a brand new Stein Club member from Maryland, and we're thrilled to have you, especially with such a mellifluous name. Shireen writes... In the midst of all this national discussion and unhappiness on our side and malice aforethought on their side with the censorship of conservatives, I've been dying to ask someone who might be able to give a good answer why a particular court case does not apply here. In constitutional law class, we covered hard of Atlanta motel versus somebody or other. The motel owner, as I recall the case... ..claimed that because his motel was solely owned and operated within the state of Georgia, that he was free to discriminate against African-Americans by refusing them a service because federal civil rights laws didn't apply. The court ruled that because he was in the stream of commerce... He was subject to the civil rights laws and was not allowed to hide behind state laws. Why does that case not apply to Conservatives on all four corners? The social media giants can't even pretend they are bounded by one state only or that they are not in the stream of commerce. They're denying people their civil rights. Therefore, it seems to me Conservatives could sue under this case. Clearly, I must not be correct, though, because no-one ever brings this case up. Why is that? I really would like to know. Um... Well, you called it, Shireen, uh heart of Atlanta motel versus somebody or other. I think it actually all came down to heart of Atlanta motel versus United States of America, which is quite a somebody, the ultimate somebody. Um, and as you say, the Supreme Court held that even if you're just doing intrastate commerce, you're still bound by the interstate commerce clause because your little motel is, quote, one in the stream of commerce, and in any event, two such operations affect commerce so as to subject it to congressional regulation under the Sherman Antitrust Act. So, what they mean by the quote stream of commerce is in fact a vast lake over the entire lower 48. That's one reason why I generally despise constitutional courts and, in particular, Dislike the expansion of the U.S. commerce clause when the Sarnayev brothers blew up the Boston Marathon, the one who survived was charged by the feds with the usual bazillion different crimes, uh, including interfering with interstate commerce, because in the course of his plot, he went to an ATM and took out 50 bucks or whatever it was. Uh, you should be able to hang a guy without resorting to that kind of sophistry, because that kind of sophistry just brings the law into disrepute. But I take your point, Shireen. The question is, A, whether a court would find that a Twitter account or a YouTube account falls under goods, services, facilities, privileges, advantages and accommodations of any place of public accommodation. You don't pay for it, for example... Uh, Whether they would uh, treat it like a motel for that purpose, I think, is unclear. And uh, B, you'd have a difficulty, I think, in finding a court willing to recognize the discriminated group, conservatives, as a uh, group for the purposes of discrimination law in the way that blacks or gays or Muslims are treated. The the big problem here is at the time social media were invented, nobody least of all congress knew what they were. Facebook was supposed to be an easy means of sharing pictures of your cat. Now it and Twitter and Google YouTube, a cartel of woke billionaires, are wealthier than many nation states and actually more powerful and are increasingly comfortable with exercising that power in one direction. Uh, Here's the Attorney General Bill Barr in the Oval Office yesterday.
0: There's a bit of a bait and switch that's occurred in our society. These companies grew because they held themselves out as public forums, as free public forums where a variety of voices and diverse voices could come on and be heard. That's how they grew. That's how they attracted the eyeballs. That's why people joined them. But now that they have become these very powerful networks of
1: eyeballs, now that they've grown by holding themselves out as free public forums, they've now switched. And they are using that market power to force particular viewpoints. And that's wrong. And it has to be addressed not only through this executive order,
0: but I think litigation going forward uh, and by further action on Capitol Hill.
1: He's got a point. Right now, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube shelter under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, a characteristically third-rate, sloppily-drafted piece of federal legislation that was designed so that bulletin boards and chat rooms, back in the 1990s, the early days of the internet, bulletin boards could not be sued for what some third-party commenter might write. I'm going to be... Super familiar with this law right at the moment because in my Michael Mann hockey stick case, National Review are deploying it to try and get out of the case. They might even pull it off because since it was written, this section has been ever more widely and absurdly applied. But effectively, it's a blanket immunity uh, that says that Facebook, YouTube, Twitter do not have to operate under the same rules as the New York Times or People magazine uh, because they're deemed... Uh, to be not publishers, but platforms. At the same time, they're now very obviously exercising publishers' functions. For example, uh, editing the president's tweets to append warnings that it's fake news or glorifying violence or restricting their reach so that you're no longer able to like them or retweet them. That is in. Uh, civil rights terms, effectively moving them to the back of the bus. They've done that with things like shadow banning. I'm shadow banned at Twitter, shadow banned at YouTube. Uh, I don't know about Facebook. It's uh, years since I've uh, taken a look at that. But but this is the point. Those are editorial functions. They're not a platform. Uh, they're do- making the same editorial choices that any editor or publisher makes. We're going to move our, this Rachel Maddow tweet we're going to enable to to be retweeted and liked and sent around the world. And then this uh, other tweet by some fellow called Stein, we're going to move that back down, deeper down into it. That's an editorial judgment. It's the same editorial judgment a newspaper makes when it decides to put Rachel Maddow on page one and the Stein guy on the foot of page 57. So they're no longer a platform, they're a publisher. Uh, whether that back-of-the-bus stuff uh, would, would actually—it uh, I mean, invites uh, civil rights comparisons, but my long-held view— Uh, Shireen, is that you can't sue YouTube or Facebook into being fair. You can only break them up as de facto monopolies. They're certainly far more powerful than Standard Oil was a century or so back, or the movie studios 90 years ago, and uh, in a more critical sphere. Increasingly, they control access to all human knowledge. And the operative word there as they've learned from their Chinese operations, doing Chairman Xi's bidding in Beijing. The operative word there is control.
0: Mark Stein's Last Call.
1: It's Super Italo weekend at Vaxi, 90 minutes north of Helsinki, and they have a very international crowd.
0: We have a Super Italo weekend in Vaxi now. I <laughs> there is a friend Norway from friend from
1: Norway yes. And this somewhat corpulent middle-aged man takes the stage to reprise his breakthrough hit from the 1980s. Albert One sings Turbo Diesel. Gatti, I saw you in a dream. Volvo, you're running hot like steam. Subaru, or as he sings Subaru, you start off like an arrow. Volkswagen, you never gave me sorrow. Turbo Diesel, Albert One, born Alberto Carpani, and a big presence on the Italian disco scene from the early eighties to his last major hit, sing a song now, now, number six in Spain but only number 54 in France. When COVID came a-calling, he thought he'd seen it off. On the Saturday, he Instagrammed a picture of himself from his respirator in the Maugeri clinic, surrounded by nurses giving the thumbs-up. Two days later, it was thumbs-down. Here's one of his I always liked. Enough with the soppy Barry Manilow balladeering. Here's Mandy Eurodisco star. A video in a London strip club with dancers of, um, indeterminate sex. Albert One. shadows of a man, a face through a window, crying in the night, dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 64, Alberto Carpani. Mokbul Hossein was a businessman and a politician. And in Bangladesh, that can sometimes be a problematic combination. The sometime Member of Parliament for the Awami League was sentenced by a special anti-corruption court to 13 years in jail for, quote, accumulating illegal wealth. But happily, the High Court quashed the conviction. Mr Hussein founded at least five universities in Bangladesh and i confess a certain admiration for his showdown with protesting students outside one of them the mokbul Hossein samorita medical college
0: boys that's uh,
1: Mokbul Hossein ordering the girls' students back to their hostel and telling the male students that he's going to blow their heads off. The video went viral and the Bangladesh Daily Star, uh, which uh, used to publish me very occasionally, the Bangladesh Daily Star reported it under the headline Menacing Mokbul. It would be a very bad thing for him to act on his threat to blow their heads off, but I confess, after all the years of watching the pusillanimous poltroons of American academia cave to the cry-bully tactics of their student body, a certain sneaking admiration for the Samarita approach, dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 70, menacing Mokbul Hossein. If you're a Star Wars nerd, and I gather they're almost as numerous as Mark Stein show nerds, you'll be familiar with this scene, from the original film of Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi arriving in their land speeder at the spaceport of Mos Eisley. Move along. Move along.
0: I can't abide those Jawas. Disgusting creatures. Go on. Go on. I can't understand how we got by those troops. I thought we were dead. The Force can have a strong influence on the weak-minded.
1: Although Mos Eisley is a wretched hive of scum and villainy, as Alec Guinness puts it, the arrival of the Landspeeder isn't exactly a crucial or memorable scene. But it became so... Four decades after the release of the picture, uh, when a newly revealed behind-the-scenes photograph of the moment caught the fancy of Star Wars world. Not for Luke, not for Obi-Wan, not for C-3PO, but for the bloke holding the boom mic. Above Luke Skywalker's landspeeder is the boom mic to record the sounds of the heroes on screen. It's who holds this boom mic that has sparked cosplayers and memes throughout the years. Follow the long boom mic pole and you will see the boom mic operator standing there in the hot sun doing his job, dressed only in very short and very tight pink shorts. Now that you've seen him, it's very hard to see this scene and not think of the man in pink shorts holding the boom mic above their head. Well, it was Tunisia, in the desert and very hot. But standing next to the guy in tighty-tighty-tight pink briefs was George Lucas, and in the picture he's got his clothes on. The pink shorts and that body belong to Ken Nightingale. He is now 90 years old and living outside London. Ken began his career in British film with the 1963 thriller Paranoiac. And worked on the sound teams for Alfie, The Boys from Brazil, Supergirl, and a lot of Bond films, Octopussy, For Your Eyes Only, View to a Kill. But his pink shorts in that crew shot made Ken Nightingale a Star Wars star. (music) The fans dubbed him Pink Shorts Boom Guy, and he became a staple character of the cosplay routines at comic conventions. God knows Star Wars is as thoroughly exhausted a seam as one could imagine, so the buff seized gratefully on Ken's pink booty shorts. And for the last five years of his life, reenactors of key scenes would be accompanied by a fellow in pink shorts, socks, and shoes stalking the actors with a long boom pole over their heads. And a retired sound man suddenly found he was the model for Star Wars action figures and Lego minifigures although the more punctilious types noticed uh, that not all the merchandise nor all the reenactors took the trouble to have their pink shorts made out of the authentic British terry-toweling. Pink shorts boom guy enjoyed his late-life fame, but I would like to think it did not alter his and his mate's verdict of Star Wars as they shot it that broiling hot summer over 40 years ago. We thought it was the biggest load of crap we'd ever worked on. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 92, Ken Nightingale. That's almost it. But I want to thank you yet again for all your kind comments about the Mark Stein Club. As our third birthday month draws to a close, Kent Wilson, a first Fortnight founding member from Virginia, says no matter what craziness the next year brings... E.g. COVID 2021 and 22, murder hornets, President Biden. At least I'll keep my sanity, thanks to Mark and his talented team and my fellow club members. Thank you all. Whoa, whoa, Kent. COVID, hornets, Biden. Let's try and keep that down to two out of three at worst. Let's close by going back to the first ship to circumnavigate North America 70 years ago Today, the St. Rock. If you don't know the Canadian folk singer Stan Rogers, it may be because he died young. He was on Air Canada on the way back from a folk festival in Texas when the plane began to fill with smoke from the bathroom. They made an emergency landing in northern Kentucky, but when they opened the door, there was an onrush of air that caused a flash fire. Stan Rogers was 33. Here's the song he wrote about the St. Rock. Stay safe, stay free. Black ice round us cracks and groans. The old St. Rock, she
0: creaks and moans. The icy fog is in my bones, and the ache won't go away. Outside I bet it's warm and fair I could have her fingers in my hair But it's long, cold miles to her out there So I guess I'll have to stay And just take it from day to day We're as far north now as I want to come But Larson's got us under his thumb And I signed up for the whole damn run i can't get off halfway but when i get back onto the shore i'm going south where it stays warm and there'll be someone on my arm to help me spend my pain so i'll take it from day to day join us next time for another edition of the mark stein show the Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved. No stranger i to the touch of steel and the honest fear any man can feel. But I long for dust under my heels and a pocket full of pain. So I'll take it from day.